Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. In a special edition of Untold Stories, I'm bringing you Crypto BitLord, who's been tweeting about, posting about, and talking about coronavirus COVID-19 as early as early January, when there were less than two deaths worldwide. As we're talking, there have been almost 10,000 deaths worldwide and 200,000 total confirmed cases. When he was talking about it, there was only 40. He was in quarantine twice in Australia and China, posted videos that he almost got in trouble for taking down. We talk about the economic indicators of what's been going on. China versus the U.S. and the West response. We played some videos and we paralleled where we are going by following his story with the global story of where we came from to where we're going. Uh, We followed his story with the global story. This is a very sobering episode, but has a lot of very good, useful information. I'm Charlie Sherman. I'll talk to you guys just in a minute. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in, what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder, like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product and a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like um, and I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees, and I don't like that. So check it out, bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. That's bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. Over the years, a lot of companies have tried doing crypto social networking. But the problem is that there are a lot of really good social networking apps already out there, like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. How do we build a social network that's perfect for crypto? Well, I want to talk about Pepo. Pepo is an amazing social media app that's built for the crypto community. What's really cool about it is that you can get rewarded for uploading and putting out good content, and you can also reward with crypto people who put up content that you really, really like. It's fast and simple, and it's the first crypto-powered app to be approved by the Apple and Google app stores. You can find me on Pepo right now at Charlie Shrem, the same handle as my Twitter, and I'm going to be posting interviews, travel videos, and more. 
So make sure you check out Pepo. It's super cool. Pepo.com. Enjoy. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. We live in in crazy times and harrowing days. Uh, It's scary. There's a lot of anxiety. The best way to understand, just like with Bitcoin and crypto, the best way to understand where we are and where we're going is to go back and understand how it all unfolded. Today, I bring you Mr. Crypto Bitlord, went from a professional Bitcoin and altcoin trader uh, to finding himself in the midst of one of the most global crisis epidemics the world will have ever seen. Mr. Bitlord, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, very excited to do this. There's a, there's a lot to go through, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a big story, mate. Very excited. It's, it's good to hear that you're finally back home and, and safe. Um, y- the story, the saga of going back to when the first case was reported. Um, I mean, the first death of, of COVID-19 wasn't reported until... Uh, January 11th, it was a few days later. And at this point, the, it, Wuhan was not locked down. There was no, um, it wasn't even understood what this virus was. January 16th, you posted, uh, cases of pneumonia linked to coronavirus rose to 41. Uh, side note, 41 in the whole entire world, two dead in the whole world. So at this point, when you're tweeting, two people in the whole entire world, I passed away from from COVID-19. You said, I don't want to tweet too much about it, but I think we're in the early stages of a major virus outbreak. You've seen some crazy shit and looks like they're trying to contain it. Bad timing considering the huge travel ban during Chinese New Year, red envelope celebrations. I have a question. January 16th, why did you say, I don't want to tweet too much about it? Why would you preface it, your tweet with that? Yeah, so uh, I was actually in China at the time and I was doing some doing some contracting, and um, I did have some information uh, regarding uh, there was a place that uh, there was a possible breakout, possible cluster at, at one suspected case, and they had uh, there was there was all sorts of things going on. Um, I had reports that they were taking people's cameras, taking people's phones, uh, basically trying to. Um, what Keep date this was this? This was, I think this was just bef- uh, a, a day or two before that tweet. Okay, so you, you had found so, yourself in Wuhan, you you were there and... No, I wasn't, no, no, I wasn't in I wasn't in Wuhan, I was in Beijing. So I'm in Beijing and uh, I'm paying attention. The reason I caught this virus early is because I pay attention to what's happening in the world. I plugged into um, all sorts of avenues across Twitter, across various other platforms, always looking for information. Um, I studied the SARS and MERS outbreak very early on. So uh, when this popped up on my radar, I jumped straight on it. Then I heard reports that there was um, a potential 
uh, break out of cluster zone and, um, you know, people were taking photos and doing things like that and they were getting the, the cameras and phones taken off them. So you've got to understand if they don't want you to talk about something over there, um, you know, you, you just need to be careful what you say. It's something so worth it's, it's talking little- about. If they don't want you to talk about it, it's something worth talking about. You, you really need to respect the way they do things there. That's that's how it works. So I didn't want to start talking about virus. I uh, start going too much into a virus outbreak if uh, it's not exactly public known knowledge yet. You know, you don't want attention on yourself, uh, and that's all I had to do with. Okay. So you were you were in China. It was mid, mid to early January uh, at the time, I think. I was like on vacation with my wife. The world was doing its normal thing. It was election season. And now um, things are starting to break out. At what point did you think that this could be maybe nothing to even care about, just a localized virus or bacteria or germ, to going from a global epidemic? Because you very, very quickly, your attitude changed. And so I'm trying to understand, um, you know, I, I guess, do you... You don't come from a, a, a health background, you know. So, what was it about you um, that kind of triggered this for you? Uh, it comes down to st- statistics, common sense to st- statistics. So, you don't need a health background. You don't need to be an expert. You just need to look at the facts, analyze them, and then see from there. So, at the time, uh, I knew that Chinese New Year was just starting. And look, when we have infections or breakouts, generally they're about 10 times what we know of. Uh, That was the case for SARS and MERS. So when they knew that there was, example, a thousand cases, there's actually, uh, you know, 10 times more cases per those things. So uh, apply the same rule to to this. Obviously, you're not going to catch it on its very initial breakout. It's actually started well before you figure it out. So it could have started one or two months beforehand. Um, the very early reports sh- showing, were showing just how contagious it was. Um, I put it to like a four point something death rate when there was two, you know, two died at 41. Um, just so simple stats, there's 400 million, or sorry, four, yeah, 400 million people um, had migrated from Chinese during that period. Wuhan is at the center of the main, um, pretty much connects all the main high-speed rail systems. The set of broke out in Wuhan. So, look, didn't exactly need to be a genius to figure out that this is going to be a, a global a global epidemic. So it starts as an outbreak, which is what it did. Um, it develops into an epidemic, uh, and it didn't take long, and it wasn't going to take long for it to develop into a pandemic. Uh, you, cannot, you could not stop it. There's absolutely no way in the world that you could have stopped this. Uh, I paid very close attention to a lot of the world's, um, you know, quarantine systems, uh, the way that they were, they were doing things. And um, from that moment, it was just like, yeah, there's no chance of stopping this. And um, a few days later, you, you posted this, this harrowing video um, updating everyone on your status. Wayne, can you please play video one? Coming from Beijing, got this, Fucking flu virus, corona, whatever it is, I don't know, but sick as fuck. And I thought, yo, <coughs> we'll do one of these things. <coughs> um, I think I should probably go to the hospital today. <coughs> Maybe get quarantined or some shit. Because <coughs> it's not good. 
That's what it is. Oh, fuck. Fuck. There's blood in that, too. It was a video on January 21st of you saying that you potentially had uh, coronavirus. You're not sure what was going on and there was blood coming out of your nose and, you know, everything like that. Uh, it was quite interesting. I mean, I'm studying this virus. I'm keeping every close tab I can on it. And then I start getting sick. And, you know, I don't like to be uh, hypochondriac and, and start coming up with, you know, theories and things like that. It was it was pretty serious. So. Uh, I just thought, look, from what I see initially, uh, it doesn't concern me too much. You know, like looking at the, the age factors and things like that, it seems like, you know, young, fit and healthy, whatever the case. If it is, a uh, good chance you'll survive it anyway. So um, it got to the stage that uh, it really hit me, like it really hit me. And um, I needed to go to a hospital. I went to... I went to a hospital and the first one, uh, they couldn't actually, didn't have any, um, uh, the, the areas to, to do anything for it. This is very early in the breakout. They sent me to another hospital. That hospital told me that they can't actually see me because my fever is too high. So they need to send me to the, um, infectious disease ward, uh, which was another hospital. So that's where they were equipped to deal with this. Now, the thing is, like this whole time, I can't speak English. Nobody can understand me. So I'm having to use a translator. And then uh, there was one lady that was kind enough to help me um, translate this to them. Uh, and, yeah, basically one of them wrote on my phone, um, you know, you, you've got to go to this place. Your fever's too high. So I went to this place. It was the infectious uh, disease ward on this particular uh, hospital. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I've got it in my phone. And this was very early in the breakout. Already, there's um, there's people suited up. Uh, you know, they got the hazmats, they got the goggles, the gloves, literally everything. I go through this section. I go into a room, and there's people packed shoulder to shoulder in there to get tested. And this was like the early, early days when um, you know the world doesn't know about it yet. Uh, it's only you know parts of China that know about it. And it was it was packed, mate. It was crazy. And I'm looking around, thinking this is a bad idea because yeah, really. Um, this is a perfect breeding ground for these sort of things. If you don't have it, you're going to get it. And if you have it, um, you know, you're going to give it to, uh, you know, four or five people easily. So they check my temperature. Uh, and then, um, I'm looking at them like saying, you know, what do I do with my hands? Like, what's up? And then they pointed to this, this, this section, like, uh, sort of like the door or, or to the right. And I just gave them a thumbs up. Like, is it, are we good? And they're like, yeah, they wave me off. And, and I left. As I'm leaving, I can see there's another section uh, where it's things are a bit more serious, uh, and I can see like you know it's it's like a more of a quarantine zone. I think that's where people went uh, if they uh, if they they really rung over on the fever. But at the time, like it wasn't really uh, you know if you unless you had a f really really bad fever, nobody cared. You know, it, it's like whatever. But the fact is. I know that you could have it, have mild symptoms, and then you're basically going to go on and, and pass it on and go out into the world. So uh, it was also from that moment as well that I realized we have literally no chance of stopping this because they're only quarantining people that have a super high fever. So by the time you're already, um, you've caught it, you're asymptomatic, you're spreading it, uh, you start coughing, you have symptoms, but unless you have a super high fever, they wouldn't 
you know, ring you up as a as an infected number or something like that. So it was uh, it was it was pretty obvious, mate, that you know it's it, it's going to get big from there. Um, and that's when I started to uh, really become obsessed and pay attention. Do you have uh, friends in China that you would like hang out with and spend time with over there? You said you had a translator. What what did they think that was going on? What did they think? Like, oh, just usual Chinese propaganda or non or like what was going on in, in their heads in, in mid-January? No, the, the person that translated for me was, um, you know, just a normal civilian in the hospital. I was fortunate enough to get them. Uh, but the people that I was with – um, you know, f- uh, friends and colleagues, they, uh, you know, I actually sort of gave them the heads up on it very early as well. But the thing is, um, you know, until it's sort of official or you really see it out there, you know, people don't, aren't really, you know, too concerned. No one wants to panic before or overreact. That's a big thing. Nobody wants to overreact. So, you know, we were paying attention to it. Uh, and then as things got a little bit more crazy, uh, the uh, things changed in China rapidly. Uh, it was, you know, one day everything was busy, people were everywhere. Uh, and the next day it was absolute zero, but at the same time it was coming into Chinese new year. And apparently that's how things work over there. So it was very, very interesting timing, um, you know, to have this major virus outbreak launched just before Chinese new year, 400 million people migrate. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, this, this lockdown period where Chinese news is extended uh, and then people are having to sort of slowly come back to work. But I actually left towards the end of Chinese New Year. Uh, but during that time, uh, the, the Chinese response to it was absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Uh, everybody uh, is completely aware of the virus. Everybody is taking precautions. They're sanitizing everything. Everybody's wearing masks. Everybody's washing their hands. Uh, everybody's taking uh, full precautions. Uh, they're coming to my hotel. They're checking my temperature. Uh, it's insanity. Certain places are locked down. You need to pass security uh, or medical before you can come through. I um, had the full pulse on it very early. So I'm not surprised to see the Chinese numbers have dropped off. I think it was yesterday or today they reported zero cases. I don't believe that's correct because uh, that's only from what you're testing. Obviously, there's, there's clusters and there's breakouts across the board. Uh, but I don't believe that they're, uh, you know, they're fabricating, um, you know, those numbers. It's just the fact that, you know, they have really got on top of it. Um, it's been a huge cost to the economy, uh, but they've done uh, the, the world's best job of containing this. So uh, you really got to hand it, to, uh, hand it to the government out there, mate. It seems like very quickly the Chinese government realized that. Uh, it's not just people who have these very high symptoms, very high fever, but it can spread. And so uh, very, very quickly, even simple things like sanitizing doorknobs, um, things that are still not being done here till today uh, were being done in China. And books will be written about um, how the response was, you know, country to country. Um, I want to play another video because um, luckily the next day you – you did get to go to a hospital and get tested. And so I want to play this video. I, I, I hope you can hear it, but I'll, it's just the 20 seconds. Yo, in Beijing, I just got tested for the coronavirus. Good. So we can get back to pumping the BTC markets, the altcoin markets. Guys, it's fucking crazy here. Everyone's running around with a mask, panicking. The room that I went into, if you didn't have a virus, you were going to get one. It's fucked up. Take care, folks. Back to BTC. That was January 22nd. 
and you know, thankfully you didn't have coronavirus. And uh, but like you said, January twenty second, you're in the hospital. Um, it, this wasn't even declared an outbreak yet by the World Health Organization. Um, and 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 here you are posting. You had a mask on your face. Um, what was the next step for you at this point? So from there, uh, I'm. I, I think it was. You know, it's just like a thing. Like, okay, well, they actually didn't test me. Uh, the test that I'm referring to here is, is um, I've gone to the infectious disease ward. They've checked my temperature. Uh, you know, they've had a look at me, and that is the test. That is it. Oh. Uh, you know, at the same time, yeah, they, they didn't swab me. They didn't take bloods, nothing. So the the whole test um, that we're going through, it's just physical. So there's it's just an evaluation like that. And many other people that were sick had the exact same thing. So, look, you can see – Unless you have a super high fever, you're going to pass through something like that, and you could have it. Uh, there's a very good chance a lot of people that went through those, uh, you know, that first screening process had it, and then went on to pass it on because those checks, um, tests, whatever you want to call them, they were never sufficient to uh, to actually properly detect the virus. So literally, you've got to understand anybody that is showing any symptoms of coughing of anything. You just need to assume, you just need to assume that they have the virus and you need to assume that you have the virus uh, and, and treat it as such. So uh, back then things were a little bit different. Things are still different uh, over here. Um, you know, the way that they want to test and do things, unless you have a fever, they don't really care. Or unless you have a fever and or symptoms and have been in contact with somebody that has had coronavirus, they just won't test you. They just don't care. So uh, the the whole um, uh, method of reporting, detection, etc. You just cannot uh, possibly uh, stay on top of it. It's just logistic. It's a logistical nightmare. It seems like uh, it wasn't until the next day. Just just so you know, well, you know, but so everyone else knows, it wasn't until the next day that finally Wuhan was finally locked down. You know, until that first happened, until I think for the world, until Wuhan, a city of 11 million people, was locked down, that's when I think the world finally woke up and said, whoa, if, if we can lock down a city of 11 million people, this is some, this is some real shit. But that wasn't until like January 28th, a, a week later, or January 23rd, a week later from when, from when uh, we, were, we were talking about this. Um, going back to testing, though, um, China versus USA, China very quickly, you know, South Korea as well, very quickly realized that you have to just test everyone. And we talked about that uh, Wuhan, you know, the, the crisis, we're not even, you know, at its peak or anything related to that. But the, the little bit of good news that comes out of today, uh, today, which we're recording March, I don't even know what today is, March 19th. Today was the first day since Wuhan was shut down January 23rd when when you posted that video. Uh, today was the first day that there were finally no new reported cases in 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 uh, in Wuhan. So that's like the sliver of good news. But it took that long. It took that long for that one city um, versus the reaction of the rest of the world. How do you think the world reaction is doing? And um, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Are you middle of the road? Yeah, look, in, in regards to the world's reaction, I mean, there's there's people uh, that have access to data we can only dream of. Uh, their job is to go through 
the data, do the numbers, do the calculations and come up with the result. So they know exactly what's happening, how it's happening. They have a very, uh, a very rough, um, I'd, I'd actually say very accurate timeline of, um, of what's happening and how, uh, it all comes down to, down to the numbers. Um, I actually did a podcast with, uh, Charles, um, when I was in, um, in Indonesia at the time. And I said, a lot of this has to do with the money flow. Uh, there's literally trillions on trillions. Uh, I said this in the podcast that needs to move. Uh, it needs to hedge. It needs to cut losses. Uh, it basically needs to find some refuge. So that smart money at the time, uh, I believe that uh, you know part of this uh, part of this rollout, part of what you're seeing now, it was always it was always going to go this way. You could never you could never really stop it. A lot of it comes down to managing people, managing. Uh, you know, 6.5 billion people, you can't tell them that, hey, there's a major virus outbreak, things are going to go crazy. So in the early days, you did see a lot of misinformation. You did see a lot of things about, oh, you know, uh, a vaccine's on the way um, or, you know, the virus isn't that deadly and all these other things. But it was very apparent from um, literally the, I think it was like the first week of the outbreak that this is a, this is going to have some major um, economic impacts. Uh, I went through that in the podcast, uh, a little bit in detail. Still, I didn't want to talk about it too much. Um, but look, it is it is what it is, and you know we're at the the early stages of that right now. What were some economic indicators? Do you think were there any economic indicators of of this thing? You know, some people early on realizing uh, mid January um, that something was afoot. Potentially, people in China starting to loop, move large amounts of, of wealth? You can you don't need to look for any actual economic indicator. I mean, what's happening is is the indicator. When you can shut down a city of 11, 11 million people, then go through and quarantine the entire Beijing, which is 23, 23 million people, uh, and then a number of other cities, uh, that has a major impact on the world. And that's, a, that's, a, that's literally, it's a fractal that's going to develop across the world because uh, as that spreads to, to other nations, other countries, they're going to have the same policy. They're going to do that. Um, and you don't need to be a genius to, uh, to look at the economic impact. I mean, uh, when you shut down China, uh, a lot of the world relies on China. Uh, a lot of the Chinese factories um, were shut down. They had already been shut down for two weeks uh, through Chinese New Year. Uh, they continued to be shut down and it was a major disruption. So, look, you can look at it and and see as that spreads through the world, you're going to see the exact same thing. Uh, I mean, I did, a, I, I did a tweet on, you know, some of the um, the industries that will be hit the hardest. Uh, so that, that that's out there somewhere. And, and it just comes down to really like, you know, logical common sense, just looking at the facts, looking at the numbers. Um, you don't pay any attention to the media or what anybody else is saying. You just look at the numbers. They're never going to fail you. Let's play video three. Sup, guys? It's me. I'm coming here live from Beijing now. By the way, I'm getting the fuck out. I'm not taking no more chances. I'm on a flight tomorrow. But let me give you some advice. Simple shit, guys. This thing is continuing to spread. It's going across the world. It's in different countries. It starts with one case, two case. Before you know it, it's eight, nine, ten, fucking twenty. Same shit that happened in Wuhan. Wuhan literally started with like four to eight cases. Now it's at like a couple thousand, a couple hundred, like, or sorry, over a hundred people are dead. Here's the thing. 
You don't take chances here. Keep yourself fit, healthy, and strong. Avoid alcohol, stop smoking, um, eat quality good food, get lots of sleep, exercise, activity, some sunlight. Just be strong, you know? It's like, you know, there's two ways to look at it. It could be one of these, like, you know, just bogus sort of flus, or shit is going to really catch on, and you'll be smart about that. So look after yourself. Really look after yourself, and make sure, like, you got a plan. Simple. At this point, your videos and tweets are getting more followers and views than most politicians are getting at this time. Politicians who are reporting on COVID-19. At what point did you realize that uh, now your Twitter is more than just, you know, crypto nerds like like you and I? At what point did you realize that now you, I mean, when you search COVID-19 expert on Twitter, you'd see World Health Organization next to Crypto BitLord. Yeah, look, it's, it, it just comes down to, look, I, ha, I already had a good platform, uh, a lot of really cool people that follow me, um, you know, and I appreciate every single one of them. But, you know, part of what I like to do is is have fun. Um, you know, I use my Twitter account for a lot of comedy, a lot of parody, uh, you know, classic shit posting, as we like to say in the crypto world. Uh, but things got a little. I love shit posting. Oh yeah, it's it's um it's a it's a real sort of uh, niche out there. But things got real. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, it was never it was never a joke. It was always serious. And you know, when it comes to the coronavirus, um, I've liked to maintain a very consistent approach to uh, you know not you know no trolling, no joking. It is what it is. But the thing is, like. People don't want to. You look at the very early videos, very early tweets. You know, people don't really give a shit. Once it catches on and once it's popular, it's the same as a, a you know, like a stock or a, or a coin. Once it catches on, once it's popular, it's uh, you know, it's at the it's at the end of that. Once everybody's on it, you you need to be looking somewhere else now because there's other things going on. So, you know, early on, a few people like, oh, interesting, interesting. No one really gave a shit until it started to become serious. Now. Uh, it's literally a global pan, uh, global pandemic. Everybody's talking about it. It set the world on fire, uh, and I'm already looking for you know for different sort of angles, different th- sort of things. Most of my focus now has shifted onto uh, the economic impact and uh, you know where things are going to be uh, in the next week, uh, the next two weeks, three months, six months, next year, two years, and ten. So that's that's where I've started to shift my focus to. But again, it's the same story. You can talk about these things early on. You can speak about them, um, you know, just you know, just based on numbers and data. But people don't give a shit until it's actually happened. So a few people pay attention, look what's going on, but it's just natural human behavior. No one cares until it's real, until it's there. People don't think ahead. You know, that's just that's just how it is. But that's the way you know humans are. That's kind of the way we are. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in, what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder, like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when 
Bitcoin first launch? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product and a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like um, and I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees and I don't like that. So check it out bitpay.com forward slash charlie that's bitpay.com forward slash charlie you get a free card you don't have to pay for it usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more there's a commitment but you don't have to do that here it's a free card there's literally no reason to not try it out i've been using it for over three years so check it out and thanks for listening to untold stories over the years i've learned a lot from crypto winters a lot of the bull and bear markets, and there's a lot of things that I've learned. But one of the most important things that I've learned is that community is one of our strongest assets. It allows us to continue working together and talking to each other during the good times, the bad times, and hopefully not the ugly times. Over the past few months, I've been speaking with the Pepo team. These guys have spent years working with members of the crypto community and learning what we want in social sharing apps. And I'm really excited that Pepo is now one of the sponsors for Untold Stories. Even in the few weeks since they launched Pepo at DevCon, not that long ago, I've seen them make so many improvements like hashtag search based on feedback from people using the app and so many different features that combine the best parts of what we already love, that parts of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but it combines it in a perfect way with such a nice user experience and good security. It combines them so perfectly that it looks like, and it actually was built for the crypto community. You can download the app by going to pepo.com forward slash stories, and you can find me there at Charlie Shrem, the same as my Twitter handle, um, but I want to jump into economic indicators. I was driving, you know, to the studio this morning. It's mid-March and uh, just listening to the radio, the news, an ad comes on and the ad is for a local uh, opera house. They have the new Romeo and Juliet coming and it's playing through the next of the month. Here we are. Of course, the opera house is closed. They're not playing Romeo and Juliet. It's over. The actors and actresses are home. But the point is that even the economy is almost like a ghost ship, I feel like, at this point. They're playing ads for things that are closed because even local radio stations don't even know what to do. Yeah, so what's, you know, in, the, in that sort of situation, I mean, uh, and I went through something similar today, it's, uh, you know, these people have, you know, there was no way for them to forecast something like this previously. Uh, you know, we, we nobody can, can sort of... I mean, an, a normal everyday person could have never forecasted that. Uh, you know, they have a business or they have a contract. You know, you could have a building contract. You could have uh, apartments going up. You've already paid for the construction. You've paid for the materials. You've paid for everything. Now, all of a sudden, nobody's there to work to build it because, uh, you know, obviously they can't be. So, um, you know, it's still under construction, but uh, it's not actually happening. And that's like that's a, that's a met- pretty much a metaphor for the whole entire economy right now. So uh, literally everything is at a standstill. Um, you know, the, these people here, they've done an ad, they paid for an ad that's going to run. Um, you know, it's going to run, yeah. Maybe taken, yeah, they should have taken <laughs> the ad down. Um, but it's it's like today, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with something else and there's a business that actually um, 
you know, it's uh, it's it's contracted to do to do a job. The job's done, and they've turned around and said, "Look, no, we don't need. Um, you know, we, we're not actually going to run with this because of uh, the virus situation." And um, uh, it wasn't my contract; it was somebody else's. And my advice was, "Say, look, that's uh, it's not your problem. You've done the work. Uh, they have a, a liability that's outstanding." Get that money ASAP because maybe in about a week or two they won't be able to pay it. So get it now. Um, you know, make sure you, you finalize that. Uh, and look, that's the very, very early um, signs of, of what's coming. People are at home; they can't work. Uh, they don't have savings, or their savings are starting to become worth less. Inflation starting to creep in. Uh, you're seeing already seeing some of the very early signs and effects. Um, of what's happening to the economy, and it's going to happen very quickly. What are some of those signs? What are the, some of those signs and effects? Okay, one of the first ones, this is very interesting. This is a glimpse into, you know, uh, just just how savage people are. You know, people aren't like animals. Animals are very predictive. Um, humans, <laughs> not so much. Well, when we're very scared, uh, you know, you, you can pretty much guarantee what somebody's going to do. Just have a look at how these people act over something like toilet paper. They're fighting, they're attacking each other, they're stabbing each other. Just imagine what it's like when there's no food. You can imagine how, you can already see how they're going to act. So, you know, you're, you're seeing the, the early stages of people, you know, clean out the shelves, starting to stock up. Um, you know, people are starting to not be able to uh, pay bills, you know, over the next sort of couple of days or week. Um, uh, a lot of people uh, are chewing into their, first, you know, they have their, their sick days through this two weeks isolation period, which once it burned up, um, you know, some companies are paying, some companies aren't. Uh, the companies start to get the squeeze because, uh, you know, production is halted, sales are halted. That flows through to, uh, you know, the workers and consumers. It's just one big chain reaction. Uh, people aren't going to be paying their rent, their mortgages, their bills. Obviously, from there, uh, that's where the cascade comes down. So, the governments can continue printing trillions, literally trillions and trillions, but it has a very short life uh, lifespan. So they can keep this going for maximum a couple weeks. Um, you'll start to see the very early uh, rollout of what's going <laughs> to – look, you can call it martial law already. Some places, the military is already there. You're not going – you're not supposed to leave the house. You're not supposed to do anything. Uh, people are going to become tired. They're going to become restless. They're going to start to get – uh, they're going to start leaving the house. It won't be long, mate. You'll see the looting, the rioting. That's pretty much where things are going at this rate. And you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't need to, uh, you know, sit here and you know, basically scare the fuck out of everyone. But you got to be realistic. Um, at this rate, that's how it's looking. The the virus uh, up until like very recently wasn't political uh, until. President Trump tweeted Chinese virus. How has that been received uh, in Australia and, you know, in, in chat rooms and other places around the world? Why, you know, like, it's kind of stupid, I feel like. You think that was done on purpose or? Of, of course. Look, uh, these politicians, they do every single small thing for a purpose. It has an effect on us. So, uh, I mean, early days, uh, China itself was referring to the virus as the Wuhan virus. Uh, it, was a, it wasn't a problem. Everybody's referring it to as the Wuhan coronavirus or the Wuhan virus. Uh, obviously, now, um, you know, there could be many reasons for turning it political now. One thing is, look, it's a, it's a major distraction. I mean, uh, you know, people aren't sort of focused on too much except for, oh, the, the racism card, the this or that. In reality, 
Um, it doesn't matter what we call it. Look, it originated, um, you know, as 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 per officials officials say, it originated in China. Uh, it originated in Wuhan. Uh, much like you know, we have things like the Black Plague or the Spanish Flu. That's not racist. We've never looked at that as racist. So you have this outrage culture now that's going to take that, you know, the Chinese virus. They're going to go ape shit. Um, it's going to cause a massive stir. It's going to divide the community even more. Be and really, like if you if you're trying to manage people, um, you know, you don't want them going crazy. Something like that's a fantastic distraction. You know, people are starting to, um, you know, they're focusing on that instead of the real issues. The stock market is continuing to tank. It's hitting a circuit breaker every single day. It continues to go down. These guys are printing trillions. They're bailing out banks. Um, institutions, airlines, etc. I mean, look, Chinese virus is a fantastic distraction. So that's how I look at it. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't concern me too much. Just one thing, I mean, I tweeted at someone yesterday. I probably just should have left it. I don't like to get involved in politics and things like this, but somebody's trying to was was trying to go out and say that it's so racist and I'll block everybody that says it. But this woman was literally saying a couple of weeks ago, the Wuhan virus, the Wuhan virus, and now she's saying that it's it was just so hypocritical, um, and you know, I, I just really think that uh, I'm going to avoid as much as I can any of these sort of small political things because they are a major distraction uh, as, as to what's going on. You've been, uh, you were like quarantined twice, isolation. You've been most Americans and most of the rest of the world is only doing it for a few days, if if a week or two. Uh, I I. My wife and I went through like house arrest for two years a few years ago. So, so, um, we are experienced in the art of having to like stay home for extended periods of time when a lot of people go like cabin fever and stir crazy. Do you have any tips or advice for the listeners who are now starting their quarantine? How to stay mentally healthy, physically healthy, fit, things like that? What did you do? What did you do during your quarantine times where sometimes you had to just lay in bed for, for hours, if not days? Look, the the closest that I really got to quarantine uh, was in uh, was in Beijing. So uh, I was very isolated through that period. Uh, a lot of that had to do with Chinese New Year as well. So I was fortunate enough that I could go from my hotel, uh, you know, to uh, wherever it is that I was working, uh, and the virus was on full full impact through that period. So you know, everything is sanitized, all the doorknobs, all the like, literally everything. So you know, I was in a city. Uh, a ghost city, you know, Beijing was my quarantine. Um, uh, it was, uh, it was a little bit frustrating, but you know, it's a, it's a bit different. One thing is guys, I mean, if people can go to prison for extended periods of time, I'm pretty sure you're, you're managing quarantine. What it comes down to is just, just be smart. Uh, don't, uh, look, social media is a major distraction. Everybody's at home right now, sitting on their phones, going crazy. You need to get exercise. Exercise is the number one feel-good thing. So uh, if you can't leave your house, um, look, you'll find ways to do it. Push-ups, sit-ups, squats. Uh, you can jog around in circles, jog on the spot. I don't know how you want to do it, but there's enough things to do. Just get exercise. Make sure you're getting a bit of sunlight. Um, eat good. Don't sit there binging on junk food, watching dumb shows and things like that. Please be productive with your time. This is an opportunity as much as a – uh, you know, we, we don't want to look at it like that. It's an opportunity. You have some time, uh, make the use of it. And the way that you use your time now, it's really going to, uh, you know, define the future here for, you know, for yourself. You can piss it up, sit there drinking, doing drugs, um, 
basically bludging, or you can get productive. Um, you know, and everybody's different, so you know it's a it's a personal choice. What will what will be the best performing asset that comes out of this comes out of out of this whole epidemic down the road? Like, what what asset ten years from now will someone have said, "Damn, I wish I bought that during COVID nineteen epidemic." Look, look, mate, you know, you, you, you're talking. Yeah, you yeah. got to get the premium subscription a, a, now. <laughs> you're talking to a hardcore Bitcoin supporter, mate. I mean, you know, I'll hold that for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, 200 plus years. So, uh, look, a lot of people have been sort of turning to gold. They're looking for it as it's gold's time to shine. But uh, you just can't tell me how much gold is really out there, how much of it is real. I mean, there's so much on paper. You can't audit it. You can't trace it. You know, it's different to like how it was in the day before trading on paper. I mean, a couple hundred years ago, you know, a gold coin is a gold coin. It's real. These days, a gold coin is not really a gold coin. It's sort of it's sort of fake to me. You know what I mean? But a Bitcoin, you can't replicate a Bitcoin. Bitcoin, to me, it's hard money. It's hard digital gold. So... Um, I think there's been a lot of confusion as to what's actually happening with BTC right now. I said this some time ago. Uh, it's looking look. BTC has traditionally been. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter what the market's doing. The traditional market. It's never correlated. It could be seen that it's correlated for short periods of time, but that's an illusion. Uh, and I do believe that the the current move um, is nothing more than an illusion to make it appear that we have a correlation. Uh, and then, you know, it is going to bounce back. It's going to bounce back strong and hard. You've already seen, uh, you know, people in, um, you know, banking institutions speak fondly towards BTC. They're looking for ways to hedge because they're starting to question, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the federal, the federal reserves, um, uh, whole uh solvency yeah, whole in, setup. in the worst case. Yes. Yes. So if we have bankers starting to worry and think, okay, where can we park our money? And they have mentioned digital assets, then I think we're on the right track. And for me, look, uh, my Australian dollar is continuing to plummet. It's crashing. It's worth less and less every day. Uh, one USD buys me about 1.7, 1.75 AUD now. Um, and it's, look, it's, it's not going to be. Uh, coming back anytime soon. I can see the Australian dollar like literally around something like you know fifteen ten cents. Um, and my BTC, uh, as 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 crazy it has been, even through this downtime for uh, BTC, it's been a relatively uh, it's been a relative hedge. You know, it's lost what you know forty thirty percent. Um, it, it's not doing too bad today. I mean, it's sitting at five eight. But if you look at it uh, in relation to some of these other um, you know, currencies, uh, BTC is, uh, it's, it's another way for me to hold us dollars. Um, you know, and it doesn't bother me, the fluctuations, uh, BTC is hard money. So, uh, if things go the way that, uh, I believe in look BTC for me, it's like, mate, it's, it's almost like a religion. There's nothing you can tell me. There's nothing you can tell me that will shake me from a BTC. So, uh, it's to the point of delusion, mate. And, I just need to warn anybody listening to that. Uh, that's how crazy I'm about Bitcoin. And I think there's nothing better to be holding through a period like this. I don't trust anything, any money in my bank that can take any gold that I that, that you have. Um, you know, somebody else can take. It's very obvious. It's bulky. Uh, and 
the fact that if it's on paper, they can take that as well. The only thing they can't take uh, is my Bitcoin. So BTC it is. I just want to like pause and let that resonate for a second because this, um, I, I was trying to run the numbers in my head as you were talking um, and using, you know, the Australian dollar is one of the currencies that has plummeted the least versus other ones. And so I, I would love to see someone do the numbers. Maybe I'll do it after we finish here or someone will do it later saying that, yes, everything has dropped, like inclu- Bitcoin included the stock markets, every currency. But I wonder what the value of Bitcoin is relative to dollars versus holding your currency. So if you were holding a thousand Australian dollars on January 1st, what is the value? What would that have bought you versus if you had bought, if you had held Bitcoin at that value relative to the value of US dollars? We'll do the numbers offline and we could check it out. But after this had happened, you'd got, you got back home, back to, to Australia. And, um, oh, did you want to comment on that? Yeah. So what actually happened after uh, leaving Beijing, uh, I was, so when I got sick in Beijing, I got better. Uh, and then, uh, my family actually registered me with foreign affairs because, uh, if things got really bad, um, there was, uh, you know, I'm thinking, okay, uh, if I can get back to Australia, uh, on like a, a special flight or something like that, I get preferential treatment, you know, the best hospitals in the world. I just feel safe, comfy knowing I'm in, uh, in, in home soil. Um, and then when I'm coming back, uh, to Australia, I had to route through, uh, Indonesia, Bali because the, um, the flights were literally all booked out or canceled, uh, through the other routes that I was supposed to take. So, uh, I got there and I went to go, and, and this is when I was, um, you know, I was, I got better and, um, the risk for me to go into quarantine was still there. So, uh, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason. Um, I went to go get a haircut. I was thinking about getting a tattoo. Uh, I landed in Bali. I had six hours to kill before my flight. I like to fly clean and fresh. So I got to the airport. I went to, um, you know, the, the area where they, they pick you up, the taxi zone. I said, look, just send me to a, the closest place, like a real sort of cheap place. Uh, I just want to drop my bags shower change, and then I'll come back to the airport. So I went somewhere. They were asking too much. I went somewhere else, set up my stuff, and then went out to go get a haircut. Showered, fresh, but taxi driver was trying to scam me, you know, doing the loops, driving around, trying to tack up the meter. And I said, you know, fuck this, man. Like, let me out of the cab. Got out of the cab, got into a next one. Same story. They tried scamming me again. So by the time I got back to my hotel, I had like about an hour and 40-something minutes, maybe, won't be like, close to close to two hours to get to the airport and then i was like okay i don't want to rush shit i might as well just rush get to the airport i don't like going through customs i don't like rushing things so i made the decision to stay and then i'll book a flight the next day uh then i ended up you know liking the sort of atmosphere and i just really appreciated the fact that people aren't running around going crazy they're not wearing masks there's no virus this there's no virus that it just felt like a moment of paradise you know, I really just appreciated the, you know, seeing, uh, you know, the, the vibrancy to it. And then I said to myself, look, I'm not going to get this opportunity for a very long time. The world is going to change. And I just want to savor this moment. You know, I just want to savor this moment. I want to go to the gym, get some coconuts, you know, sip on a coconut, uh, get a bit of a tan, get some work done, um, you know, take a, uh, you know, take a surf or something like that. 
and, and just really take this moment for myself right now. So um, I did that for, for four weeks in Bali before I returned to Australia. I go to return to Australia and, um, you know, everyone's coughing on the plane, literally everyone. And when I was in Bali, people started to cough about four days before I was leaving. Uh, it felt like every tourist that I bumped into was sick. Uh, and this is this is this is real talk, man. And then I I'm on the plane anyway, so um, you know they're asking everybody about you know travel and stuff like that. They knew I'd been to China. Uh, you know, I had a slight cough. Literally, the the fifty percent of the plane is coughing. More than half the people on there are coughing. They come up to me. They said, "We need you to wear this mask." And I said, "Look, I'm not wearing a fucking mask." And they said, "It's for you know, it's for your own safety. You got to do it. It's for everyone else." I said, "Mate." You know, I'm saying to the flight person, everybody else in this plane is coughing. Why are you asking me to wear this mask? Okay, it, it, it's it's uncomfortable. It doesn't do shit. It's, it's not statistically proven to do anything for a virus. Um, it's a simple dust mask. Uh, and, you know, it's a bit of a, a disagreement on that. And I said, yeah, sure. And I just took the mask. I didn't wear it. Um, you know, you can ask me about masks later if you like, but a lot of people have uh, extreme points on this. Anyway, we got back to my city. Uh, arrival and they said okay everybody just needs to stay on the plane quarantine are now boarding so quarantine board hazmat suits fantastic flight attendant walks up to me excuse me sir can you please come to the front of the plane i'm thinking you're fucking serious like what i get to the front of the plane this was all because i had been in china four weeks ago Never mind the entire plane is coughing. But as soon as the quarantine got on the plane, magically everybody stops coughing. I'm just like, come on, like this is this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's the fuck? Yeah, it's yeah. not right. And then I said, Yeah, I said to him, like, guys, like, I don't understand. What is your procedure? Um, it says 14 days. If you've been in China within 14 days, I was there four weeks ago. And they said, Yes, but you're displaying symptoms, you're coughing. I said, Well, 50% of this plane is coughing. You can literally count these people and, you know, obviously everyone stops coughing, but, um, you know, the whole flight, they're just coughing their asses up. And I said, look, uh, you know, I'm asking them more questions about their procedure, about what's going on. They have no idea. They had no idea. I go through, you know, they take me off the plane um, and they held every other plane on the tarmac. They cleared out the departures. They cleared out, uh, sorry, they cleared out the arrivals. They cleared out duty-free Everybody's standing to the side with masks and you know letting me come through with this with this uh, you know hazmat escort. I get to the section for quarantine. And they're asking me questions, uh, you know, getting me to fill out some paperwork. And then this custom officer comes up. He says, "Excuse me, so we need to see your passport." This guy doesn't have any medical equipment on there, no gloves, nothing. He just takes my passport. I'm like, "Bro, like, are you serious?" He's like, "Yeah." I said, "Where's your gloves? Like, where's your medical equipment?" He says, oh, we're just doing our job. I said, yeah, but if I'm – look, they brought me here because they think I have coronavirus. You just take my passport without it. And then a medical officer comes out with gloves, takes a passport, and they're telling me just to, you know, just to mind my business, do my thing. And I'm like, wow, like you guys are so unprepared. And then I asked them, I said, so when was the last time these seats are sanitized? They're like, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm sitting on these seats. You're bringing people here that are being quarantined for suspected coronavirus, if I don't have it, maybe someone sitting on the seat is going to give it to me. So they hadn't sanitized the area. They had done nothing. Uh, and from that point, I realized Australia is more fucked than we could ever know. So, you know, they couldn't even give me a procedure on what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, and I'm just like gobsmacked. So let's play, a, let's play this video. Yo, thought, fuck it. Managed to get my phone here quickly. I just said, I'm calling my family. Guys. I can't believe this shit. It's like. <clears throat> You've been told you cannot be on your 
your phone. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just FaceTiming no, my family. I'm FaceTiming my family. Chill. Fuck this. Yo. Well, you should have, you should have checked. You should have checked. Stop me, stop me. Security towards seat immediately. This is going to Twitter. This is how you cure it, guys. (coughs) Chill, chill. What? That was February 29th. Uh, Not even, not even like a little over two weeks ago. And, and they're not allowing you to have your phone, which doesn't make much sense to me because why, you know, why try to stop communication um, and it just seems like there's chaos. They, they don't know what's going on. No one really knows what to do. And this is two weeks ago. Yeah, look, I mean, look, it comes down to, uh, look, they have no experience with this. They don't have a procedure. When I got the plane uh, and they gave me a documentation, it says, I'm, it's in my hand right now. It says novel coronavirus COVID-19, uh, COVID-19. Uh, I got off the plane and this document was already uh, seven days late. So it's dated here. Uh, version is information from charges from China dash version 6 14 to the second 2020 uh, I arrived I think it was seven days that document was overdated this virus moves so fast if a document is seven days outdated it just goes to show just how slow things are so when I got back into Australia uh, they were going to be sending someone uh, you know to come see me as well and it actually took me to contact them and follow them up and say, hey, like, you know, you guys are supposed to check up on me. Now's about time. And they said, oh, yeah, sorry. So we've been trying to contact you. We've tried absolutely everything. Um, you know, we've been trying to find family members. Uh, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, your, your mobile number is not working. I said, okay, yeah, uh, uh, I think that was my old SIM. And the number's no longer invalid. And then I said, well, how about an email? And they said, oh, we didn't think about that. I said, well, it's literally, it's written on the form. If you were trying to everything to contact me, you probably could have sent me an email. So, you know, that sort of incompetence is just next level, really next level. You know, these people are, um, uh, uh, you know, they're doing everything they can within their capacity, but they just don't have the training. They just don't have the awareness. Uh, they just don't have a procedure to work to. They have no idea. So, you know, that's a, a, a little glimpse into what's going on there. Uh, I was literally, a, a, at that stage, I was a handful of people that had been actually tested for coronavirus. So uh, I had my throat and my uh, my nasal cavity swabbed for the virus. Um, they called me and told me that it came back as negative. And I said, okay, that's fantastic. Can you please forward me those results? And they said, well, we can't actually forward them to you. Um, you may have to get in contact with the lab, um, you know, to get those sort of results. I said, well, how can I how can I certify like certify that I don't have it? I mean, there could be a mishap. You could be, you know, I don't know who I'm talking to. I need certification. I mean, and if I was in a uh, in a profession where I had someone to report to, I would need to show that to HR. Uh, they couldn't give me anything, um, and I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to sit there on hold for a, a couple hours trying to get these results from a lab. I just thought, fuck it. So um, out there somewhere, uh, they have these lab results uh, that I've never seen, and. Um, then I asked them, look, can I access those, um, <clears throat> the database or can I, <coughs> <coughs> fuck, I think I've caught it again now. Um, and then, yeah, they're like, uh, they, they can't give me any information in regards to how many people have been tested or how many people have tested positive or anything like that. So, uh, it's just the complete, uh, complete shambles. And, you know, I, I really do believe they're doing as best as they can, but they just, they can only do that to their capacity. So, um, you know, good, 
good on them, but uh, unfortunately, it was it was never going to be enough, and um, it is it is what it is. You mentioned masks were controversial earlier. Why is that? Okay, now these masks—the only thing that is going to prevent, the only thing that is certified to prevent a viral infection that's used is a full hazmat setup with respirator and Tychem setups. So without them, there's nothing else that's certified. They use these for Ebola breakouts. Ebola is extremely lethal. Uh, it's above 30% death rate. So if you get a, Ebola, you're in trouble. They use these for them. They use these for other highly infectious viruses because they work. Now, manufacturers create these masks, these N95s and these other P1s. P1s, it's a dust, it's a dust mask. They create them for dust masks. Um, some, the N95 is rated for aerosol, so it's supposed to uh, you know, prevent an aerosol, but it's not supposed to prevent a virus. It's supposed to, it will minimize the aerosols to come through. It's not going to stop 800% of them. These masks were never, never designed for viruses. Uh, they can, uh, you know, you can just refer to the manufacturer's specifications. In no way does it say these things are suited and will contain a virus. So um, when in doubt, you can just refer to that. Uh, you know, people, uh, the fear of the virus is, uh, is extreme. And, you know, when something catches on, people run with it. People think that they're going to be safe wearing a mask. They think they're going to not catch it or minimize spreading it. Uh, look, you can just look at the Spanish flu. Some of the things that they thought were helping stop the virus or, uh, you know, contain it, uh, it was, it's just absurd. So, you know, we're at that same sort of level here. And uh, I, I do believe that, um, you know, the way that, uh, 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 my approach should be look if you're sick or you're coughing um, I believe that the mask could be a really good way to indicate that someone is actually sick but when everybody's wearing it uh, we you know we have we have no idea um, so wear the mask so, if you're but, sick that's the way I look at it I mean if if, if you're not sick uh, it's not it's not proven it's not what they're designed for they don't prevent viruses they're designed for dust they're designed for uh, the N95, uh, you know, aerosol or um, moisture, whatever the fuck. But it's not designed for a virus, and it doesn't it doesn't prevent 100% of uh, the air coming in. It's not a, a respirator setup. Um, it's not a hazmat. It's not a Tychem. So you know, a lot of people go absolutely crazy. Um, I was actually abused in a store in China. I had shit thrown at me when I came in to get a, a Sprite and uh, this lady was going crazy and I'm like, what's the problem? Apparently, you know, it's because I didn't have a mask and, um, you know, I just thought, you know, you're overacting, like, you know, chill out. This is very early days. Uh, you know, you try that now, you'll literally get beaten. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, people have, uh, you know, different thoughts and, uh, and opinions on that, but I just want to stick to the facts. And the facts are these things are not designed for virus. They're designed for dust, and I do not believe that will do anything. What's next for you, and how can people follow you? Look, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, you know, I'll be having, I'll be having fun. I'll be doing my my normal sort of thing. I'm not going to change stuff up. Uh, it's only going to get crazier. Uh, you know, you search, uh, you know, Bitlord or Crypto Bitlord. That's where I'll be. Uh, for me right now, it's all about. Uh, it's. It, it, I have more focus on you know where we're going to be at. You know, in the in the future, I'm just trying to position myself and my family the, as best I can for that. Um, 
you know, most people, um, you know, even some of my family members and friends, they don't care. They don't give a shit. Um, you know, even when I'm trying to, you know, give them a heads up on, on certain things, they just don't care until it's actually there and then they want to do something about it. So, you know, for me, it's just about, look, whatever, I'll just keep continue doing my thing. Um, I'm getting in back into full-time BTC trading. This, this volatility is just, it's just too good to pass up right now. So, uh, you know, dusting the gloves off, getting back into the markets full-time, um, I'm also actually writing a book on the, on the coronavirus outbreak, um, you know, strangely enough. So I think that's going to be uh, a pretty interesting story. Um, I've actually written a book on crypto, but it's, it's not the right time to get it out there. So, you know, if I'm going to be at home or uh, hold up, what, what better way to pass the time? Um, you know, I've started playing chess, writing a book and trading crypto. I'm pretty sure there's a relatively solitude, uh, you know, thing. So. Uh, I think, you know, I'm going to be fine. I'll continue the commentary. Thank you for taking the time and, and spending this hour with, with us today. Um, the listeners will find it invaluable and will very quickly follow you on Twitter. And, and thank you for, for the work you've done. I know that you you don't see it like that, but, but even if you uh, helped one person stay away from his older relative who potentially could have gotten that, that was, uh, you know, you, you made that that print on the world. So thank you again. And, uh, and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, mate. I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe doing like a follow up, follow up episode, uh, that, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the world right now. And, uh, you know, I think now's a good time for everyone to pay attention. Thanks. Thanks for having me, mate. I appreciate it. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of untold stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7am EST on untoldstories.com. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of Blockworks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Schrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers, and information is power. 